Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Hey, everyone. Welcome to church. We are so glad to have you with us here at the Block Church. If you're online or at a physical location, special welcome to you. My name is Grace. I'm the Port Richmond location pastor, and I feel really honored to be here today to share. And as a reminder, this is our final week of Lent. So today is Palm Sunday, which begins the final week leading up to Easter. And as a church, we've been fasting for the last five weeks. Uh, But if you're with us and new with us, it's not too late to join. This week as a church, we will be uh, choosing your own fast. So whatever you feel led to do, to surrender to the Lord and choose more of his presence, more of his word, more of uh, just, you know, worship music, things like that. Uh, Choose your own. But I really encourage all of you to choose something that stretches you. Don't play it safe this week. Don't stay comfortable this week. If there's a week to stretch yourself and get uncomfortable, it's this week here. So it is Palm Sunday, or some people call it Passion Sunday. And it's the beginning of Holy Week, this seven-day span leading up to the victory of Easter. It's the final week of Jesus' life. And when you look at the Gospels, the four books that really capture the history of Jesus' life, um, they devote so much of their book to this final week. The Gospel of John gives almost uh, half of the book to this last week of Jesus' life. Matthew uses more than 33% of his Gospel. Mark, nearly 40%, and Luke, over 25 So what that tells us is this week is important. This week is worth paying attention to what's happening in Jesus' life that these gospel writers devoted so much of their writing to cover it. And so today, as we sit in church together, my hope is that Jesus would not just be this far off person or this unknown, you know, character, but that he would be real to us, that his humanity would be real to our humanity. So thinking about Jesus and his awareness of this being his final week, I just tried to sit in that as I was preparing for this message. What would that be like to know I had one week left to live? And I did something dangerous. I Googled if I had one week left to live. And some people were really helpful and talked about making amends with enemies. They talked about spending time with family, paying off debts, uh, just making reconciliation and being at peace. And some other people shared exactly what we would expect out of the internet. This one girl said on the first day, knowing it was the final week of her life, the first day, she would find all the cats that she used to own, get them from the current owners and say, can I have them back for a week and then die of allergies? Somebody else said they'd find a guy and head off to Vegas. And somebody else said they would steal a helicopter or a plane, fly it somewhere to see a painting, and then steal that painting. 
The creativity that just comes out of people. It's what we love the internet for. The creativity, the, the humor, but gosh, I'm so thankful to not be following some of these people. That's how they would spend their final days. I'm thankful to be following Jesus, modeling my life after Jesus. You get to model your life after Jesus and to see how he spent his final days, what he did, what was happening in his mind and heart as a human, but what he understood being fully God. So today we'll talk through his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which sets the scene for Palm Sunday. And because we see the final, the answer, you know, at the end or the end of Jesus' life, we know that this moment wasn't everything. The triumphal entry wasn't the end goal for Jesus. He, he knew that his biggest test was approaching. He knew that victory was not in that moment, but it was to come. And that would seal his final victory, which would then seal our final victory. So I've titled today, uh, this message is called Victory Endurance. And those of you who know me know that I love to hike. I love to just push my body to the limit and get up to high altitudes. Not hiking as the Northeast knows it. Those are nature walks. Uh, But hiking where elevation is involved and you have to actually like get up to a summit. And there are these hydrants. hydration packs and like snack packs called victory endurance. And the whole point of them is to say, give your body the nutrients needed to endure, to get to victory, to get to the summit. And so I read through all the different gospel accounts of Jesus and the triumphal entry, all four, uh, talk through that, but I loved John the most. I think John just gives this different angle to it. And he's the only one that actually records the story of Lazarus being raised from the grave. And I hadn't really sat in the reality of this is what sets the scene for Palm Sunday, where Jesus was right before he came into Jerusalem was at this dinner. So let's look at John 12 verses one through 12. It says six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate. So many Jews knew that Jesus was here, knew that he had done this miracle of raising a man who had been in the grave more than three days back to life. And they wanted to come see what this was all about. This dinner was to honor Jesus. The friends and family were so thankful, but it was also so people could see Lazarus alive and well and eating, doing human things. Um, They wanted to witness this miracle. So this is where the crowd for Palm Sunday begins to form. Verses nine through 11, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. These chief priests or leading priests were Sadducees. That was a different sect of Judaism. And what was unique about their theology is they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe resurrection was possible. And so Lazarus was this living, breathing embarrassment to their theology, and they wanted to kill him. So the crowd already was those who were coming to be in awe and wonder, and they were excited to hear about this miracle. But the crowd also gathered people who were angry and against this, and they were embarrassed. Embarrassed, and they wanted to silence Jesus and silence anybody else who had his hand on their life. 
Spurgeon says this, when men hate Christ, they also hate those who he has blessed and will go to any lengths in seeking to silence this testimony. And so you might need to, in your situation right now, realize it might not really be about you that your coworkers hate or that your family hates. It's trying to silence the testimony of Jesus. Somebody who doesn't believe that God's good may not tolerate your testimony that he's good and might be coming against you because of that. So Jesus knew all of this was at work. He could feel the anticipation building and growing, the crowds forming, and the emotions are stirring. Then we look to verse 12, and it says, the next day, turn to your neighbor and tell them the next day. After this dinner with Lazarus, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. The next day after that. So this crowd that followed him from Bethany into Jerusalem merged with the crowd that was already in Jerusalem because of this festival, because of Passover. So people who lived out and around the city would come into the tabernacle to sacrifice their lamb, to have this incredible cultural moment all together as Jews for Passover. I like the way that Luke 19, 28 uh, kind of captures the beginning of this story. It says a little different. Luke 19, 28, after telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. As he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So the other gospels kind of capture this donkey or cult moment where Jesus sends the disciples to get them. He rides it intentionally into Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not aware of any other time when Jesus rode a donkey into the city, but he was aware the crowd's gonna be in Jerusalem. The crowd's already following me. I'm gonna set this moment up. Let me give you some more historical context to what all is happening here. Uh, Jerusalem already had high tensions because of the Roman empire that was ruling around it. And there was such a dense population of Jews in Jerusalem and they had some level of religious exemption, but they were always a, a thorn in the side of Rome. They were always a pain point because the Jews were so stubborn. They wouldn't conform. They wouldn't relent on certain practices. And so there was constant tension between uh, Rome and the Jews Within the Jews themselves, they have these different sects. We already talked about the Sadducees. They also had the Zealots who were an aggressive political party whose greatest concern was national and religious life. Um, they wanted the Jews to be freed more than anything, even so to the point where they would hate other Jews who sought peace and sought to work together with Roman authorities. And the Zealots had the symbol of the palm branch. It was truly a, a symbol that represented the zealots' desire for Jews to be free, for the nation um, of Israel to be set apart and be different. And so it's pretty amazing that what they chose to go get was a palm branch. And when you sit and you think about this crowd forming and Jesus coming, riding into Jerusalem, riding on a colt, these people who, who loved the law, who loved the scriptures, who understood their Jewish heritage, they knew the Old Testament. They weren't like how we are nowadays. Like if we quote something from the Psalms, you may or may not recognize it. If you quote something from the prophets, 
almost guaranteed we're not going to recognize it. It sounds like a foreign language. But to these Jews, they had it memorized. They memorized the Torah. They knew the scriptures. So when Jesus comes in riding on that donkey, it immediately brought their brains, their minds back to Zechariah 9.9. Let me read that for you. It says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And then it goes into what they say, Hosanna, blessed is our God in the highest, the one who comes to save. They saw Jesus riding on the colt and these Jews, this crowd recognized this is is the moment our king is coming. This is the moment we get freed from Rome. It's finally here. Victory is here. So then they go and get palm branches and they cut them down and they wave them intentionally as a sign for Jewish nationalism, for Israel to be free. And they are waving it and crying out and singing Hosanna. And Hosanna truly means save us. They're crying out, save us. Our king is here. In Luke 19, 39 through 40, it says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the roads would burst into cheers. Jesus knew this was a divine appointment and Jesus set this moment up. He told the disciples, go and get the colt that's never been ridden before and bring it here. So Jesus has this moment where he's like, if the people weren't aware enough to cry out, then nature, creation itself would because this is an appointed time that was prophesied about hundreds of years years before, Jesus set a moment up for the worship to be evoked from a deep place. And everybody's responding differently. Some are there because they're just in awe. They're following this Jesus. Some just love a crowd. We're all kind of like that, right? If you're out in public and a crowd's forming, you got to go over and you got to see what's happening. If the crowd starts chanting something, I've done that before at a parade, you just start chanting it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying, but everybody else is doing it. I feel weird if I'm not. There are those personalities in the crowd. There are the Sadducees who are trying to go after him and saying, this man has claimed resurrection power. We need to silence him. There are the Pharisees saying, this is blasphemous. You are not God. And there might even be some others who just live in Jerusalem coming. But the crowd was singing out and declaring him as king of kings. What happens after Jesus gets off the donkey is what has just affected me and made me think so deeply. Two of the gospels record that as Jesus gets off the donkey, he goes into the tabernacle and he cleans house. He flips tables. And this is the moment where he says, I want the house of my father to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Jesus gets off this parade march and goes into the tabernacle to make sure it's cleaned and purified. Two of the other gospels in John and Luke record that Jesus is moved to tears. Luke says that he weeps over Jerusalem. As he comes in on the donkey, his heart is broken for them because he knows how far gone they are, how much they're not understanding. And in the gospel of John chapter 12, verse 27, 
the way that John records it is Jesus' words in quote here. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. His soul was troubled. He's grieved. But in all of this, he knew his greater purpose was to fulfill an assignment given to him by Father God, an assignment that had not yet come. Jesus knew the grave was coming. Crucifixion was coming. His assignment wasn't finished. This is the reason that I came to die for these people who don't understand what's happening. Their lips were just close to me. They were just praising me with scripture, but their hearts are still far from me. He knew he was waiting to hear, well done. So the summit that Jesus had in mind was resurrection from the grave after three days. And he knew that Palm Sunday was a false summit. Anybody who was just in their humanity, who didn't have connection to the Father, would have said, this is it, I've arrived. Look, they recognize me as king. Look, they're quoting scripture back to me. Look, the earth could be shaking with praise for me. This is it. But if you've ever hiked a mountain, you know that there can be false summits. The one that I would hike all the time when I lived in Flagstaff had this saddle and it would mess you up every time. You would feel like you were at the top and then you would turn just the right angle and you'd realize there's a path going there and you'd have to hike another 2,000 feet. I just hiked uh, in 2020 Pikes Peak, 14,000 feet in the air. And it was my first time doing the mountain. I didn't know, I didn't do any research. I didn't know what the trail was like. Lucky for me, I had another guy from our church, two other guys from our church hiking with, and James had done it before. And Connor and I, it was our first time on the mountain. And he had already, Connor had already hiked the Grand Canyon two days before. And I was just out of shape from hiking mountains. So he and I were dying and we were resting and we were eating all of our hydration packs. and. We, we kept telling ourselves, look, I, we can see the summit. We're just there. You know, he and I are encouraging each other and James is skipping on ahead, you know, FaceTiming his brother as he goes up. And Connor, I kept saying, we're almost there. We're almost there. We can get there. And we got to the point that we thought was the summit. We looked around, we're saying, it's so beautiful. And James came to us and he said, you guys, this isn't it. We got to go up there. And it was a rock scramble. Like you had to use your hands and your feet to get up this rock Uh, just ascension to finally get to the summit. And I remember almost having a mental breakdown, just saying, I literally don't know if I can do it. Already breathing was so hard. We were at 13,000 feet. Um, I was out of shape. I wasn't prepared. And I remember James saying, Grace, you just have to decide if you're going to make it to the summit or not. It's just a choice in your mind. And then he told me that there were donuts at the top. And so I had a little little more... um, energy behind my mental strength to get there, but I did a victory endurance pack. I got some hydration. I got some nutrients in me. I had a clear end goal. I made a decision I'm going to make there and I got some nutrients in and then I was able to endure to get to the final victory. And so many of us are in false summits in our life or just get satisfied with false summits and we don't really look to Jesus to see how did he navigate false summits? He went to his father's house and made sure there was prayer. He got around his disciples. He he spent the last week so intentionally building his passion for the father, for obedience to the father, stirring his passion for people. He did miracles the last week of his life. He gave parables away. He preached sermons. He casted out unclean spirits. He said, I want everybody to know how much I love them, how much I love the father. 
And he was able to keep his mind pure and set on the assignment that God had given him to do. So as we follow Jesus, what we do is we have this example for perfect living that we're able to watch and see But more than that, we get to be in relationship with him. And more than that, he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us endure the way that he did. So some of you here today, you need to know, you can have victory endurance under a mental breakdown. Jesus experienced incredible mental pressure. We really see that in the Garden of Gethsemane as he weighing the cost, as he's saying, Father, take this from me. His mind was counting the cost and thinking through everything, but he was able to have victory endurance because of the help of the Father, because his friends were praying, and because he saw the end goal. He knew what it was to get to the summit. You can have victory endurance under extreme temptation. Some of us have experienced almost physical temptation to sin, to give in to something where it feels like your whole self is pulling you into darkness. I I still believe nobody has experienced this more fully than Jesus. Jesus experienced temptation you and I will never face. When he was out in the desert and in the wilderness, before he went to the cross, the temptation to quit, the temptation to choose self, the temptation to choose comfort, but he endured until victory. You can have victory endurance under unfair circumstances. Nothing that Jesus endured was fair. And some of us get so bent out of shape, out of fairness and what we deserve, we totally lose sight of the summit. We start getting on the false summit and saying, I deserve to be here. This is the best. I I don't deserve to suffer a little more to get to that high peak. God, why would you ask me to give more? God, why would you compel me to give more of my life, more of my money, more of my energy to you? God, I've already done so much. And we have to think like Jesus said, it has nothing to do with fairness. It has everything to do with God's love for me, why I was created, the purpose of my life. Fairness goes to the side and you just love God so much that you're like, whatever you're asking of me, I'll do it. You say the word father and I'll obey because I know your love and I love you back. You could have victory endurance under unbearable pressure. I cannot imagine the pressure that Jesus had. And I was so moved reading about him sitting at that dinner with Lazarus and just thinking that alone, like how many of us could have the social wherewithal to sit amongst so many strangers, knowing it's our final week, knowing that the cross would happen in six days, like the pressure that Jesus was under, I can't imagine that. And he chose love. He wanted to be there to celebrate Lazarus. He was so excited. You know what I mean? He just was this this incredible friend, but had this victory endurance because he was connected to the Father. And you can have victory endurance under heartbreak. The scriptures record that Jesus' heart broke when he got off that donkey. He wept over Jerusalem. His soul was troubled. Some of you are navigating incredible heartbreak and you need to hear this word today. You can have victory endurance in the middle of your heartbreak because nobody can bind up your wounds like the Savior. Nobody can come and meet you in your broken heart, in your confusion, and you're not understanding what's happening more than Jesus Christ himself. He wants to meet you. He wants to give you all that you need to endure till that final victory. I'd love for all of you, the locations to stand to your feet. And if you're with us online, make this a private moment. 
It's Passion Week this week. We're thinking about Christ's passion for us, to go to the cross for us. What kept him obedient even unto the cross is passionate love for you. And your location pastors are gonna come in just a moment and lead you all through communion. But I'd love for everybody to just bow their heads and close their eyes right now in this moment. I just wanna pray over us all, Jesus. Jesus, we think on you. We behold you in this moment. Our mighty savior, our God, our king, our deliverer, our healer. And we love you and we worship you and we recognize that going to the cross was no small task and enduring until that moment of obedience and then resurrecting again. God, that is what our faith is all about. That's what our Christianity and our journey, our decision to be your disciple, it's all about this. So give us a fresh understanding, a fresh awareness, a fresh encounter with your love for us. Make it personal today, Jesus, as we remember what your blood and your body mean for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially wanna thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.